0: Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights Podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Moore, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Doing Well, the show where we talk about well-being weekly. Today's topic is ways to train the brain for your well-being, and my guest today is very special. I have a story to tell you, and I'll tell you that in a little bit. Uh, But first of all, I would like to introduce her. Dr. Helena Popovic, MBBS, is a medical doctor and international speaker who shows people how to boost their brain at any age or stage of life so they can perform at their peak throughout their career, eliminate brain fog in menopause, avoid Alzheimer's and other dementias in retirement. She is the author of three best-selling books. Number one is In Search of My Father, which is a guide to caring for someone with dementia. Number two is Adventure Prevents Dementia, shows how we can all build a better brain. Number three, Neuroslimming, Let Your Brain Change Your Body, reveals how to shed excess body fat without dieting or deprivation. Nero Slimming won bronze medal in the International Living Now Awards for books that contribute to positive global change. Welcome to the show, Helena, and I cannot believe that you extended your stay in Melbourne all the way from Queensland so that you could do this show with us in person. Thank you so much for doing that. How do you find Melbourne? Thank you very much for the invitation. I thought I can't miss the opportunity to
1: speak to in person. I love Melbourne. Um, it is a bit of a shock to the system when you come from the Gold Coast. So it is cold, but it's, it's refreshing. It's yeah. actually quite enlivening. It's yeah. like stepping out. It's like this. Meck on the face, but I'm awake and
0: alive. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Like The cold just really wakes you up. Yes. Um, you were saying earlier to me that you really just love the food scene here, you know, the restaurants and places to go. So I know this is not on the script or anything, but I'm curious, what's the best place that you've visited in Melbourne?
1: Food-wise? Yeah. Oh, I love this I think it's Argentinian or Brazilian or South American restaurant called Asada, Mm. which is in South Bank. Okay. And every time I come to Melbourne, I go there Mm. and I try something different. This time I tried, wait for this, tongue, beef tongue. Ah, It was just the most tender, beautiful, melt-in-your-mouth meat. My grandmother used to cook tongue because my family of origin is Serbian and so she had. I used to take smoked pressed ox tongue yeah. to school in my lunchbox, and the kids would never do lunchbox exchanges with me, and I never understood why um, <laughs> until I did, you know, Vegemite and 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 uh, lettuce sandwiches. Then they accepted me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So so this tongue was just melting your mouth. It was just and and people sort of go, oh yuck. It is just beautiful. I think yeah. one of the beauties of coming from a different culture is you're not afraid to try new things. Yeah, you embrace
0: everything. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've been here for five years. I've never been to that restaurant, so I have to... I highly recommend it. Yeah, Apparently they list. have several other
1: related restaurants, oh. but because I'm always in the CBD, that's the one I yeah. go to. Yeah, that's super cool.
2: All
0: right. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about that right now. Um, we're going to get a little hungry soon because yeah. yeah, it's approaching lunchtime, so I'll try to control that. I will talk about the topic of the day, um, but before we do, I'm very curious because you know you have a lot of books written on the topic of you know health, especially brain health is related to a lot of these things. Um, and you talked briefly to us about your father before the show started. I'm guessing that might be you know part of why you chose the work that you're doing. But I'm curious to learn from all my guests. You know, like what led you here? Why are you so passionate about such topics? And what are some of the key highlights in your professional career so far? My mother was a doctor
1: as well. She was a GP, but she ended up running a hospital. She was a very strong person. When we came to Australia, she was told remember, this was 50 years ago she was told, she was already a doctor, but she was told, you'll be lucky to uh, work as a cleaner in a hospital because she was a woman she was couldn't speak english at the time and she would have to reset the exams well that was a red flag to a bull she passed her exams and she ended up running a hospital yeah, and she got an order of australia amazing. so i'm so proud of my mum um and so i grew up in a household where being a doctor was just fun and it was just the best way to help people so i think it it just naturally it was just the path I took and I've always been fascinated by the brain and the brain runs the show of our lives. So if we can build a better brain, we can think better, learn better, create better, relate better and achieve more than we ever thought possible. And so I believe that investing in learning about our brain and improving our brain is the best investment we can make in our health, in our relationships, in solving our personal problems and in solving the world's problems.
0: Mm. Yeah, I really love that because one of the topics that I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, how you, you can be a very rational person, um, yet it doesn't matter. I don't know if I'm making any sense. but Oh, yeah, yeah. emotional
1: health yeah. is way more important because we don't realise all our decisions are actually emotional mm. and Our rational brain kicks in, you know, microseconds later. So we think we've made a rational decision, but we haven't. Mm. We've made an emotional decision and then our rational brain kicks in to justify Mm. that emotional decision.
0: Yeah, that is so interesting. I'm sure we'll cover that in the interview part later on. So for now, let's get to know you a bit better. We have this section called, have you met Dr. Helena? And I'm going to get some recommendations from you or just for the first thing that pops into your mind. I love this part because it helps me to get to know the guest um, a bit better. First thing we always ask, what is a book you would recommend? Well, I'm currently reading a
1: book called Kokoda by Peter Fitzsimmons. because I'm hiking the Kokoda Track in August to raise money for the Black Dog Institute. And you'll know that the Kokoda Track is the location of the 1942 iconic World War II battle between the Allied Forces and Japan, but the Allied Forces were mainly just Australia. And so I thought it was also a very fitting way to raise money for um, an organisation like the Black Dog because we've got an epidemic of mental health issues sweeping through the whole world, yeah. and the black dog doesn't just do research. It actually translates that research into really helpful practical advice for people who are suffering and struggling. So I feel really strongly mental health is health. Yeah. It's They're not separate. Yeah. So that's why I'm reading that book. But if you want a book that I recommend, I just loved The Body Keeps the Score.
0: Oh, I love that book. You've read it too, Brain, Mind
1: and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. Yes. And that he talks about how trauma literally reshapes our brain and our body in a way that then predisposes us to a wide range of mental and physical illnesses later in life unless we address them. But it's also, as you know, a good news story because we can recover And the most powerful way is to activate the brain's innate capacity for change, which is called neuroplasticity.
0: Yeah, I really love that book. I, I think it was a pretty hard read, especially because it mentioned trauma quite a bit. And then yes. you start to, to think, because when I finished reading that book, because my best friend and I, we were re- reading it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, we had a conversation. We were kind of like, and I was kind of going to her, now I wonder if I have trauma stored in my body. Because yes. I didn't think I had. But maybe I do because, you know, after reading the book, I was like, oh, there are signs and there are things that you can kind mm. of like pay attention to. And I'm like, maybe, you know, you need to dig deeper sometimes. So yeah. that's that's the interesting part to me. I, I agree. i got to read it again. It also
1: enabled me to see patterns within patients that only ever presented with physical, recurring physical illnesses. Mm. And it, it then enabled me to, to dig deeper and actually start asking questions about childhood and trauma and relationships and, um, And it's made an enormous difference. Also, I think when we realize that addictive behaviors, they're all a sign of pain. Mm. You know, I've never met anyone without an eating disorder or some kind of mental disorder that that it isn't actually a survival mechanism. Yeah. We develop those methods of coping that are helpful at the time, Mm. but later in life, they, they start to sabotage us.
0: Yeah, that is so true. We'll talk about that as well in the conversation, I'm I'm guessing. Next one. What is a movie you would recommend? Um,
1: It's actually a documentary. It's just extraordinary. It's called Alive Inside, A Story of Music and Memory. And it shows how playing music, but it's specific music that is meaningful to the person, Mm. to somebody with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or, or other severe neurodegenerative disorders They actually come alive. I don't know if you've seen the movie Awakening. Mm,
0: No, I haven't.
1: Well, with Alive Inside, they show people in an aged care residence, we used to call them nursing homes, and they're catatonic. They're not moving. They're not responding. And you play their music, a song from their past that was meaningful. Maybe it was the song that was played at their wedding or at their school dance or something. And suddenly they come alive. They respond. Their eyes open. They sit upright. They start tapping their feet. They start talking, mm. and they actually start remembering things. That's so amazing. music can trigger buried memories. Yeah. So it, it just taught me, and it made a huge difference to looking after Dad. Whenever he didn't want to do something or was agitated, I would play the music that I knew was meaningful to him. Whenever he didn't want to have a shower, I would play Singing in the Rain.
0: Oh, that is so sweet. So, so that was
1: very powerful. But as I said, that's a documentary. Yeah. Um, Another movie that I that had a really big impact on me was Hacksaw Ridge. I mm. don't know if you've seen that. That was the true story of a conscientious objector called Desmond Doss. And he won a Medal of Honour. But he never actually fired a gun. He would not carry a gun because he was a Seventh-day Adventist and all he had to protect him was his Bible and his faith. Mm. And he saved dozens and dozens and dozens of his fellow soldiers, he was a paramedic, by dragging, dragging them off Hacksaw Ridge, which was a, a cliff in yeah. um, Okinawa in Japan. Mm. And he lowered them down by a rope and he did that for hours and hours and hours and he was an extraordinary hero.
0: Wow. I've, and never I fired a gun.
1: Watch yeah. Hacksaw Ridge. I yeah. highly recommend it. Yeah,
0: definitely. I have to watch it now. Mm. Oh, amazing. What about a podcast you would recommend? Doing well, the Wellbeing Science <laughs> Insights podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah.
1: I'm actually a really avid podcast listener. Mm. Um, I've got enough podcasts to listen all day, every day. And I love podcasts because nothing is boring anymore. Unloading the dishwasher, great. I've got an opportunity to listen to a podcast. Stuck in traffic, great. I've got more time to listen to a podcast. Now, let me make the caveat. I do not recommend multitasking. We're going to be talking about training our brain. Multitasking is one of the worst things we can do. It increases stress It increases mistakes. We actually take longer Mm. to do the task, although it feels, we feel busy, we feel like we're achieving something, but we are reducing our productivity massively. They actually did a fascinating study where they compared people doing monotasking one thing at a time. They gave them all the same set of things to do. Uh, Another group multitasked and another group had a joint of marijuana before they did the task. Who do you think did the worst Multitasking. Yes. It was worse than smoking a joint of marijuana.
2: Mm.
1: Now, I'm not recommending now you smoke a joint because <laughs> they did not do as well as the non-smoking group. Yeah. But all, the point I'm making is, can you can you just see how much multitasking frazzles our brain? So if you're doing something that requires thinking, don't be listening to a podcast. Yeah. But there are two types of multitasking and the two, the, the two types are, one, One type of multitasking is where you're doing something that's mindless,
2: Mm.
1: something that's just automatic, you know, brushing your teeth. Then you can be listening to a podcast or doing something else at the same time. But if you're doing two mentally taxing tasks at the same time, no go. Mm. Sorry, that was a very (laughs) long-winded answer. But but one of the, as I said, I listen to loads, but probably one of my favourite podcasts is The Drive Mm. by Dr. Peter Atiyah, Mm -hmm. who does really fabulous, deep dive conversations with world experts on how to live longer, stronger, healthier, and happier. And that's what I teach as well. So yeah. that's why it's of particular interest. But he does yeah. it very well. That was a
0: new recommendation on this show. So, yeah, that's definitely Good. interesting. Good. All right. Next question. Who is your famous role model? Or if not a famous person, then who is your personal role model?
1: Eckhart Tolle.
0: Mm, Spiritual
1: leader. Um, for most people will have heard of him, yeah. an author of The Power of Now yeah. and A New, A New Earth. He is so humble and simultaneously wise. And he walks the talk more than anyone I've ever met.
0: Yeah. And I I've,
1: I've listened to him only recently. He came to yeah. um, Brisbane.
0: Oh. I, I think he was in Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's pretty recent. Yeah. I and that was that. just marvellous. I couldn't go. But yeah, I think it's it's amazing to read his books and mm. you know you can read them as many times as possible. Oh, and yes. you still learn new things every time. Yes. Because I think it's like, you know, there are certain things in life where you just keep relearning and relearning and yes. getting the reminders again. And, you know, his insights would be one of those. Definitely. Yeah. Last question. What is a course you've completed that left a really strong impact on you?
1: You'll probably have a laugh. While I was a doctor you know, had to earn money as a student. Sorry, while, while, I was, while I was studying medicine, I hadn't graduated yet, um, I was a waitress, as everybody is in those days. And I was standing in a queue, like a cafeteria queue, and I had two fitness instructors. They were called aerobic instructors at the time, talking about classes. They were earning $25 an hour. Mm-hmm. This is 30 years ago. Okay. I was earning $6 an hour mm. as a waitress. So I tapped them on the shoulder. I said, how do you become an aerobic instructor? And at the time you did this 10-day 10, 10 course. Now, I had never set foot in a gym at this point. Yeah. So my first university holidays, I did this 10-day course. I couldn't hold a pencil by the time I finished because every muscle in my body was so sore. But I learned more about health mm. and well-being in that 10-day fitness course than I did in a 10 year medical degree because doctors don't learn about health. They learn about sickness. They learn about fixing things when they break Mm. through drugs and radiotherapy and surgery. But we don't learn about the importance of food and movement and relationships and the way we live our daily lives. Mm. So that was extraordinarily eye-opening. Yeah. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, that's interesting. I think it was in March, one of your March podcasts, you were speaking to your friend, Dina Sargent, and you said that you had... Um, reignited your commitment to getting physically fit and you had just joined a gym. Yeah. So are you still exercising and how's that going?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just got back from the gym this morning and did Pilates and the class this morning was amazing. And just to build on what you just said, um, about a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend who is a fitness instructor and I was like, I want to be a Pilates instructor now because it's really fun to do Pilates, Mm. especially reformer Pilates. And yeah, it's changed my life. Um, And in fact, the other day, I I actually wrote something on this topic um, because I share, I overshare on this show because I really care about well-being. Um, What I've been going through is burnout. um, And, you know, because I go through burnout, I realized that my health was just deteriorating. Mm -hmm. And that's why I decided to join the gym. And what I have noticed is that it's changed my life in a way that I never thought it could, you know, because I... How? I was always in bed until the time that I needed to go to my desk and start working. Mm -hmm. And that was me last year. And it was not something pretty to admit, but I have to say that, you know, the more we talk about this, the more people will start exercising. And I I truly believe in the power of, you know, changing your routine and exercising every day. Um, And I do that so I can talk about it. You know, it's it's so different. You know, the The version of me last year who was in bed until work time and the version of me this year where I wake up every day at the same time going to the gym, doing the same routine. I'm happier. Yes. I feel so much better. I deal with stress better. Yes. And for a really long time, I felt like I was dumb. Like I felt like I couldn't think. Mm. And because we're talking about brain health today and we're going to jump into that conversation really soon. You can probably shed light on this Um but i noticed for myself i couldn't think when i did really simple tasks it takes me a long time to move from one thing to another because mm-hmm. i need to have i needed to have a break in between cuz i'm like okay one task is done now i'm tired and i just cannot think but now i can easily you know wrap one thing up and then move on to the next thing and i don't feel like i'm dumb anymore and in fact the past few weeks i feel like i have better insights for my team i was like i was talking to my team and i was like oh yeah, that was my suggestion. But you know what? It was actually a pretty good idea. (laughs) I feel like I'm myself again. Yes. And that, I think, is just a big part of that is thanks to the new routine of going to the gym every day. It forces me to get out of bed at the same time every single day. I sleep better. I think better. I feel better. I don't feel fatigued. I have not got sick, touch wood, in three months. Mm. Ever since I started Mm. going to the gym. So, yeah.
1: Everything you say
0: has been
1: backed by years and years of research. And we were made to move. Exercise is the number one way to boost our brain, to keep our brain healthy, to avoid Alzheimer's and other dementias at the end of our life. So I might just sort of jump in and, and sort of answer your question how it actually works in on so many levels. Firstly, it's not – there's different types of exercise. There's aerobic exercise, endurance training. There's strength training and there's balance training. And all three are really important for various reasons. So the aerobic exercise, whenever we move, we produce a chemical in our brain. We, we produce – well, firstly, we produce a host of chemicals called myokines from our muscles. They travel through our blood to all our organs, including our brain, to keep them in optimal working order. Secondly, we we produce particularly a neurotransmitter called BDNF. It stands for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And this chemical neurotransmitter acts like a fertiliser for brain cells. It actually stimulates new connections between brain cells called synaptogenesis. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually the growth of new brain cells, neurogenesis. And they found that the best thing you can do before something mentally taxing is to do some exercise.
2: Mm.
1: So whatever it is, whether it's a job interview, whether it's an exam, whether it's IKEA furniture assembly, I find that mentally taxing. You know, move for 20 to 30 minutes, you will perform measurably better. Mm. It strengthens our immune system.
2: Mm-hmm. On a phys-
1: It reduces inflammation. Yeah. It reduces oxidative stress. It heals our mitochondria. It keeps the blood brain barrier healthy, which means it keeps toxins out of our brain and it allows nutrients into our brain. Yeah. So it just works on so many levels, number one. Number two, strength training is underrated as important. If we do no strength training from our mid thirties onwards, we would lose about half a percent at least of our muscle mass every year. So every 10 years we lose 5% of our muscle mass. Mm. So between the ages, at least some, some studies show 7%, some show even up to 8%. This is if you do no strength training. So between the ages of 30 and 70, that's 40 years, we could be losing one-fifth of our muscle mass. Mm. Why does that matter? You might say, well, I don't care. I don't want to be a weightlifter. Because strong muscles mean a strong mind. They've yeah. actually done studies that you test your hand grip strength, mm. and they did it on over fifty-five year olds, and every five kilogram drop in hand grip strength was associated with this with an incremental decline in memory and cognitive functioning. Mm. So we don't. It's because of the, you've heard of the two-way communication between our gut and our brain, yes. Yeah people aren't talking about the two-way communication between our muscles and our brain. It's equally important. Mm. So we need to keep our muscles healthy. The other thing too, the more muscle mass we have, the the less likely we are to get type 2 diabetes because our muscles are a glucose sink. They absorb glucose from our bloodstream. So it means you can get away with eating a few more carbohydrates if you have more muscle and you're less likely to get type 2 diabetes.
0: Yeah. That's amazing.
1: And balance, sorry I'm going on about this, but it's just so important. Yeah. So The reason we need to practice balance is because the part of our brain responsible for balance is called, well, one of the, the regions of our brain is called the cerebellum. Mm. It's in the back of our brain. And this is also a part of our brain that, that regulates our thoughts and emotions. And mm-hmm. what they found is that people with mental health illnesses, whether it's anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, and then later in life, people with dementia, Parkinson's, they have poor balance. Mm. And so they're now doing studies, and it's looking like if you improve people's balance, you will actually improve their mental health. Mm. So aim to be able to stand on one leg yeah. without holding on to anything, each each leg for 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you get older, you're allowed, you know, if you're um, sort of over the age of 65 can drop to 20 seconds over the age of 75, even 10 seconds is a good thing. So practicing all these things. Now, I'll give you a challenge. Once you're good at 40 seconds on one leg, then do it with your eyes closed mm. and it'll make it harder yeah. because you're removing one of the stimuli that helps you maintain balance. Yeah, Because when you're balancing, your brain is actually interpreting and, and coordinating information from your eyes, from your ears, from your joints, from your muscles. So it's actually quite a complex task. Um, and and then when you can balance on one leg with your eyes closed, try and do some mental arithmetic. You'll fall over because it's a, <laughs> it's adding another layer yeah. of mental complexity to something that's already a mentally complex yeah. task. Yeah. So well, number one, if you take nothing, if people take nothing else away from this conversation, physical exercise is the closest thing we have to a panacea. To improve every single illness, even if it doesn't feel related. Like who would have thought that just half an hour of moderate intensity yeah, or high, it's great if you can do high intensity, you know, if you can do a mixture yeah. of high and low intensity yeah. and really start to get breathless, half an hour of exercise a day will halve our lifetime risk of ever getting dementia. Mm,
0: that's Extraordinary. Amazing. Yeah, But it, it
1: you know, it helps everything.
0: Yeah. I really love that when you say it. Because I, I was like, initially when I signed up, I was like, I was not great at my balance. And you, cause Pilates is about b- balance for your body. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so bad at this. And, you know, the, the, the more I practice, the more I was like, oh, I feel so much better. And now yeah. I know that it's backed by science. Yes. That I I actually didn't just feel better um, physically, but I feel better mentally, emotionally, everything. You know. that, that's the other thing. They found that physical exercise is as powerful as all the
1: any of the more powerful than the any antidepressant you might be able to take. Mm. The problem is if somebody's really depressed, they're not motivated to exercise. Yeah. But it's so important if they do mm. to to just let them know this is more powerful than drugs.
0: Yeah. Definitely. In
1: in boosting mood.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, before we move on to talk about uh, well-being and, you know, the the topic of the day, we we were covering, you know, exercise, which is a very big deal. We'll talk about that a little bit again. But I, I do have to say that when, and this is something that I shared the other day when I was doing my reflection on this whole burnout recovery journey is there were days that I didn't feel like getting out of bed. Mm. Because initially when I started this journey, I was kind of like, I was at the end of my burnout recovery period from last year, but then I got hit by another wave of it. Yep. And initially it was all good and fine. And it, you know, it was summer, it was nice and, you know, my life was going well. And then everything went downhill from there. But one thing that was consistent is no matter what happened, no matter how I felt, I went to the gym. Great. And I might uh, have toppled over every now and again because, of, you know, because, you know, when you have things in your mind, you're kind of trying to, you know, keep your balance. You might fall. Yes. Um, but... I feel great anyway, because it's kind of like it's amazing when you do that, you have that experience and you tell yourself, oh, my mind's elsewhere. I need to bring it back to my body yes. to connect to my body and keep my balance. Yes. And that to me was such, a, such an amazing realization because my I have a gym buddy who's like my friend and little sister in a way. And uh, yeah, uh, there was this one time that uh, we t- took turns falling off the machine. And after that, oh. we had a conversation and she was like, oh, I had a lot on my mind. And yes. Then, and then I was like, "Me too." That's why I fell, and she fell. And I was like, "Wow, it's a, it's just amazing yes. how the mind and the body connect." So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in because if anyone doesn't know about this, I just I'm I can talk about this all day. I just love what I've learned in the past few yeah. months. It's amazing.
1: And I think it's important to well, two things. One, you'll remember from the body keeps the score mm-hmm. that connecting with your body in somebody who has had trauma through you know, just yoga or Pilates or Tai Chi or Kijong. It's not about, you know, getting breathless in this case, but but just connecting with our body can really heal trauma. Yep. Um, and secondly, what was the second point I was going to make? Um, oh, yes. I think it's important for people to know that it's not fun from day one. People go to the gym and go, what are they talking about? Yeah. You know, it's it's hard. <laughs> I'm sore. I'm tired. I'm breathless. I'm sweaty. I don't enjoy this. Did I enjoy my first gym class? Hell no. <laughs> it was hard and uncomfortable. But just, just persevering and don't go overboard. Start slow
0: yeah. and
1: build up. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're finding something you enjoy because you'll never stick to it if you don't. So yeah. if you don't like... You know, circuit classes. Try Zumba. If you don't like Zumba, try yoga. If you don't like yoga, just try different things, or or join a club and play a sport. Yeah. Yes. Or learn to dance in a different capacity. Roller skating. So it's yeah, it's really important that you enjoy it. Otherwise, you'll never stick to it. And it's also important that you allow yourself time not to like it at the beginning, Mm. but once you're hooked, I don't know anyone who's gotten through that first month that then doesn't go, ah. Yes. Now, yeah. I, now I understand what they're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's such an important conversation, especially when it comes to well-being. Um, but let's talk about well-being yes. now. You know, we've got we've gone on a tangent of physical exercise. No, we haven't gone on a tangent
1: because physical exercise is critical to well-being. You mm-hmm. can't have well-being without moving yeah. your body.
0: Yeah. So now that we've covered physical exercise, I'm sure we can cover other things too. Um, And let's start uh, broad with the first question we always ask in the main part of the conversation. What does wellbeing mean to you? To me, wellbeing means waking up feeling refreshed, energized and
1: excited about what each new day will bring. It means having a sense of meaning and purpose. And it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. It doesn't have to be... Curing cancer. It can be gardening. It can be raising a child. It can be looking after an elderly parent. Mm. It can be art or music, whatever it is for you, as long as there is something with meaning and purpose. Yeah. There's no well-being without that. Mm. Feeling a strong sense of connection with family and friends, you know, having a confidant, feeling part of a community. That's also what well-being means. And I think retaining a sense of all purpose. Awe and wonder about life, yeah. having a sense of curiosity, and being able to laugh. Oh, I
0: love that's, that! Yeah, yeah, I love that. We don't talk about laughing enough. I think Correct. that's just so yeah. important. Yeah. Um, the the other day, I, I think I was talking to someone, and um, we were kind of discussing, you know, like how do we enjoy life? You know, the simple things in life. And uh, one of the things that we we talked about was, you know, like. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Yes. You know, like how do we how do we make space for that? So I'll tell you, you what of, we
1: did. Yeah? Because my father um, had Alzheimer's, mm. um, I just wanted a whole lot of triggers in the house that would lift him up. So we have a lot, la- and we've kept this up. He passed away a couple of years ago. We have a laughter box in our home. Ah. And what that means is it's a reminder to look for things that make us laugh. Seek and you shall find. So in other words, when something funny happens and we laugh, we write it down. My partner, I write it down on a piece of paper and put it in the laughter box. And then we pick a random day of the year and we sit around the dinner table and we read out all the things that made us laugh throughout the year. And it's just, we're just in stitches again because it's just really silly situations. But the power of the laughter box is to remind us Mm. to look for something funny every day. Look for Something to laugh about every day.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I love
1: that. Yeah. I think I have to do something like that with my friends. It'll be really good. And the laughter box has a whole lot of smiley faces all over it. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I could imagine. So, a lot of people have a lot of different definitions of well being. You know, I love your definition, it's very wholesome. But in your line of work, you know, having worked with so many people, having done a lot of research, I'm sure you've noticed a thing or two that people get wrong when it comes to wellbeing, misconceptions as we call them. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the biggest ones you've noticed so far?
1: Probably the very biggest one is people think that well-being means you have to be happy and positive all the time. No. Life is full of ups and downs. Wellbeing is not about never falling. It's about getting up after you fall. So just it's about riding the waves. It's about choosing to be a victor, not a victim. And a victor isn't somebody that is a winner all the time, that's on top of things all the time. It's somebody who chooses to grow and learn from every experience, not who avoids, avoids, you know, difficult experiences. Yeah. Hard does not mean bad. That That's another big misconception. Oh, if something's hard, it's not meant to be. <laughs> you know, it's too hard. Mm. And and I should avoid hard because that's bad. No, hard is the price we pay for a more meaningful life. Mm. Hard is what gives us a deeper appreciation of who we are and what we're capable of. I'm sure that your dark times, your hard times are the ones where you learnt the most about yourself and you discovered strengths that you didn't realise that you had. 100%. So, so that's a big misconception that you've got to be happy and upbeat all the time. Um, secondly, it's actually very damaging to be Force yourself to be positive all the time. And they've actually found that people who try and keep up a brave front and suppress their negative emotions can actually do worse when it comes to cancer, especially skin cancer. They've actually done studies that mm-hmm. that those that are trying to stay upbeat and are not being true to how they feel like, if you feel upbeat, great. But yeah. if you're faking it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: no. Mm-hmm. The key is to feel our feelings, yes, whatever they are. 100%. And that is so hard because we're not taught how to feel our feelings. Mm-hmm. We live in a culture where we're taught, come on, if you're not being positive, you're not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. The only way that we can be genuinely positive
2: mm-hmm.
1: is to allow ourselves to feel the negative feelings. Now, let me explain what that means because yep. people think, oh, but if I feel my feelings, I'm going to smack somebody across the head when they make me angry. That's not feeling your feelings. That's acting out your feelings. Feeling your feelings is also not eating through a tub of ice cream in one sitting. That's stuffing down your feelings. Feeling your feelings simply means sitting there with the discomfort. And it can be really uncomfortable. It can be like not being able to scratch an itch, you know. It, can, it, it feels terrible in the moment, but you learn that your feelings are not who you are. Your feelings are an energy that passes through you. And if you hold that energy within you, what's going to happen? It's going to turn into manifest into disease. Maybe not immediately, mm. but if years and years and years you're not feeling your feelings, that will undoubtedly turn into some kind of illness, mm-hmm. whether it's an autoimmune disease, whether it's cancer, something. So it's so important that we learn to feel our feelings. And when we do, number one, it doesn't last long. You'll, if you just sit there and just acknowledge, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling betrayed. I'm feeling really guilty. Just feel it. It'll pass through you. Yeah. And then move on and learn from it. Mm-hmm. So it's not about wallowing. That's the other thing. It's not about wallowing in your feelings and now feeling that and bringing that negativi- negativity back, you know, every day. Yeah. It's about feeling it and moving on. Mm. <clears throat> so so that's really important. Um. Also, the other misconception, it's sort of on the same theme, is that stress is really bad. Now, there's no denying that severe, long-term, unmitigated stress can erode our physical and mental health. However, a study of of nearly 30,000 adults found that those who had a lot of stress but who did not view stress as detrimental... They had better health, less depression, greater life satisfaction than people with the same amount of stress, but who were telling themselves, oh, this is really bad that I'm feeling stressed. And they were stressing about their
2: stress.
1: (laughs) The meaning we attach to our experience is what defines us. And so it's not the stress itself. The more people viewed stress as character building or life enhancing in the long run, the greater their resilience and energy levels.
0: Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with that. And a lot of the things that you are mentioning uh, when it comes to well-being, it it comes from our mindset, you know, how we see the situation. Very much so. Yeah, I think uh, when you mentioned the, the victor versus the victim mentality, I just so agree with that because a lot of the times people might go, oh, this is happening to me. That's right. And maybe not. Maybe it's happening for you. Very, very
1: good distinction. Yeah, I
0: love that. Yeah, I think it's um, it's something that I have to I've had to gone through um, to learn. So you know, mm. it's it's similar to a lot of us with our growth journey, right? And I think uh, on this show we talk a lot about not suppressing our feelings and you know feeling our feelings and sitting with it. And recently I had that you know very same experience where I had to sit with a really uncomfortable feeling, and I I told my friend, I hate it. Yeah. I told my friend, I was like, this is how I'm feeling. I'm not going to get the answer that I need. I hate it, but I'm feeling this way. Yes. And my friend said, you know, you're hurting yourself, right? And I said, I don't think so. I'm just letting it hurt until it cannot hurt me anymore. Yes, 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 yes. I think there's there's a fine line between you know, hurting yourself versus feeling all the feelings so that it will pass. Because if I don't think about that, if I don't allow myself to feel that particular feelings, like you said, it's going to come up in other ways later on. It's not going to be good for my well-being. So, yeah.
1: What people, and this is a really important point you've just made, feeling our feelings isn't repeating the story in our mind. Mm -hmm. It's just feeling. Mm -hmm. So it's not rehashing the event. Yeah. It's just feeling the feeling. Exactly. It's different. Very different. There's a difference, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can quote Winston Churchill, because I love this, the pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty.
0: Mm. I, ju-
1: I just love that. That
0: really... I really love that. That's yeah. a real pick-me-up for me. Yeah, oh, 100%. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable whenever you go through difficulties, but you know, it's what you make of it, Discomfort right? is what... Strengthens us. Yeah. And then we've got that as a reference
1: when we meet a, another discomfort later down the line in life. We go, hang right. hey, on, if I handled that previous situation, I can handle this one now too. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a reference point. Exactly. Really and though. it's also what connects us. Yeah. There isn't a person on the planet that hasn't gone through some sort of difficulty. We would have no empathy hmm. if we had no struggles That's ourselves.
0: So yeah. So true. Because really the most powerful two words in the English language, me too. Mm. Yeah. Me too. Or as the kids say, same. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, really love that. Now, on a completely different, um,
1: you you said what are misconceptions. I've got to mention one more misconception about wellbeing. absolutely. Is that people think, oh, having a bit of junk food every now and again is fine, everything in moderation. I'm sorry, it's not everything in moderation. There are some things, bullying in moderation, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, Domestic violence in moderation, I don't think so. Smoking cigarettes in moderation, no. Even one cigarette a day is harmful to our health, increases the risk of a stroke. Same with soft drinks. Mm. Every soft drink is a bullet to our brain. Mm. It is really, really damaging. All sugary beverages, mm. so cordials, um fruit juices, even freshly squeezed juices. But the reason that soft drinks are the worst is because we drink them the most quickly Mm -hmm. so we get a massive hit of sugar to our liver in a very short space of time. Yeah. Now why is sugar so – people think it's the calories. Mm. It's not the calories. Can can you allow me to explain why every soft drink is a bullet to our brain? Yeah, go for it. Because I don't think people realise just how damaging it is, sugar – called sucrose, that's table sugar, is made up of two smaller molecules called monosaccharides, fructose and glucose. So stop me if you want me to explain anything any further. The real bullet is fructose. They're metabolized very differently in our body. When our brain metabolizes, that just means breaks it down.
2: Mm.
1: When our brain cells metabolize fructose, what happens is there is actually a drop in brain cell energy. Mm. It actually starts to starve our brain cells of energy which is one of the hallmarks of dementia later in life.
2: Hmm.
1: Okay. So immediately we're not going to be thinking as clearly. It leads to the buildup of uric acid inside brain cells, which is pro-inflammatory. It damages our mit- mitochondria. It increases oxidative stress. Um, it leads, and it leads to inflammation.
2: Hmm.
1: All of these things erode our thinking right there and then. Then you've got... The second half of the the molecule, which is glucose, which provides energy to all our cells. So that's a good thing. However, excess glucose leads to hyper too much insulin being released, which means leads to insulin resistance, mm. which leads to type 2 diabetes. Right. Type 2 diabetes doubles our risk of dementia.
0: Mm.
1: You know, as we age. And the the other thing with glucose that people don't realize is excess glucose is converted to fructose. Mm. And the enzyme for that conversion is enhanced in the presence of salt or alcohol or dehydration or lack of oxygen. Mm. So, salty chips is one of the worst things we can do for our brain because that glucose is going to be converted to fructose and all the downstream toxic effects on reducing brain cell energy. And when they've actually fed when, when scientists have fed rats a high fructose diet, They can't find their way through mazes. Their memory is shot to pieces compared to rats that are not fed fructose. Now, this is partially but only partially mitigated by simultaneously giving the rats omega-3 fatty acids, which are the fatty acids found in your oily fish, salmon, sardines, mackerel, tuna, anchovies, in uh, linseeds, flaxseed oil, walnuts, dark leafy greens, soy. So they're all really important brain foods. I don't like to single out any 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 one brain food, but they are really important foods, as are blueberries, uh, berries in general, yeah. purple vegetables because they contain anthocyanins, mm-hmm. which are really powerful antioxidants for the brain. Yeah. But the point I'm making is, don't underestimate the negative power of sugar
2: mm.
1: when it comes to our brain. If you changed nothing in your life, okay, you kept up your exercise, you kept up your healthy diet, but you added one can. A small can, what's 375 mils of soft drink a day. That's all, one can a day. By the end of a year, you would be, the average is 6.75 kilograms heavier and it would all be fat around your abdomen. It wouldn't be muscle, I'm telling you now. It'd be fat. And your risk of diabetes would have jumped 24%.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So There's no safe level of soft drink consumption. Yeah. Now, I have to say, fruit juices are not much better for you. Like they're just not good for you. They're mm. just not quite as bad as soft drinks because at least you do get a, some some vitamins in there. But fruit juice removes all the fibre. So you're still getting this really massive quick hit of sugar to your liver mm. and therefore to your brain as well. Mm. So when people tell me they're going on a juice cleanse, unless it's mainly green vegetables and some avocado and some water or some, some milk, I sort of, juice cleansers when it's fruit juice are not a good idea. Mm. If you want fruit, eat the fruit whole. Yeah, Don't juice it yeah. and don't eat dried fruit either because mm. that does the reverse. That removes the water. So now you've got this concentrated sugar. Yeah. And people think they're doing themselves a favour snacking on dried fruit. They're not because mm. that's concentrated sugar. And you think about it. If you have a bunch of grapes, you might be able to eat a handful of Grapes, but you, when you shrink them down, you can eat almost 10 times as many dried grapes, sultanas, as you can whole grapes. So you, you're getting so much more sugar. Mm. So I know that people have heard, oh, yeah, yeah, sugar's bad for you, but I don't think people re- think, I think most people think it's about the calories. Oh, I shouldn't eat sugar, I'll put on weight. It's not the calories, it's only four calories per gram. That's the same as proteins. Mm. Sugar and proteins. Gram for gra- carbohydrates and proteins have the same amount of calories per gram, mm. but it's the metabolic effects of sugar on our brain and body. Mm. That is definitely. And it's added sugar. It. I'm not telling people to yeah. not eat whole fruit and not eat vegetables because all vegetables contain carbs. I'm mm. saying avoid anything that's got added sugar, mm-hmm. which is 80% of packaged foods in supermarkets, if you read the label, mm. um, and also avoid refined starches.
2: Mm. Yeah. You know,
1: bread and white rice and pasta. Mm. Eat Just read the labels and eat, you know, the, the fibrous, mm. the high-fibre stuff.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good tip. A lot of people probably never heard about this before. So, you know, that's something to take away from this conversation. Mm. Now let's talk about brain health and boosting our brain because that's what we're here to talk yes. about. So how do you define boosting our brain? Boosting
1: our brain means living in a way Making daily choices that optimize our thinking, decision-making, creativity, problem-solving, and ability to connect with others. So it's just brain boosting is taking your your life, your productivity, your joy up to another level.
0: Yeah, which is directly related to our well-being as yes. you defined it. Yes. So there you go. So... We know that it's super important to take the steps every single day. Like you said, it's not, oh, yeah, I'm just going to be on this program and then that'll be done. No, actually our brain is here forever with us for as long as we're here and it's important to take the daily steps. So how do we actually go about that? What are the most important steps we can take to boost our brain? I'd like to start with something that's going to sound left field, but it's not. Mm
1: -hmm. Our beliefs affect our biology. Mm. our self talk is critically important <clears throat> so let me just sort of sort of say understanding that all that self talk we're actually creating our experience of life mm. through what we tell ourselves because our brain is wired to make predictions mm. about what we expect to happen next let me give you an example you'll have heard of the placebo effect yes okay if you believe that you're receiving a healing remedy your brain, so let's say, I'm telling, here's a really powerful painkiller. It'll remove your back pain. Your brain automatically goes, Ah, oh, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to start producing endorph- my own endorphins to reduce the back pain, and your bra- your body will actually start producing what we call endogenous endorphins, opioids, to reduce the pain. It's not just in your head. It's not just, oh, you've just talked yourself into not feeling pain. Your body is changing in response to your belief that you're receiving a healing remedy. And it doesn't just work for pain. It's worked for asthma, allergies, autoimmune diseases, Parkinson's, you know, just about any disease you care to mention. They've even shown that that sham surgery, that placebo surgery works hmm. with knee surgery, with back surgery. They will put a person under anesthesia, they'll make a little incision in their knee or their back so they think they've had the surgery, they haven't had any surgery, and then they'll get up and go, oh, yeah, pain's gone, I can run, jump. And the surgeon's going, I cannot believe this. (laughs) That is the power of our belief. So just be careful what you believe, what you tell yourself about something. Mm -hmm. And the relevance of this is it is, you know, when you experience something that is negative, What are you saying to yourself? What are you making it mean? Because that's going to make all the difference to how you respond. So instead of saying, you know, this is going to destroy, losing this job is the worst thing that ever could have happened. No. Tell yourself when one door closes, another door opens. It's not about finding the truth. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's about finding a meaning that uplifts you, that motivates you to keep growing and learning. So that's the first thing. And I'll just give you another really powerful example, and this is really relevant Mm when we're young, not just when we're old. This was done in 1968. I remember because it was, yeah, it was 1968. uh, Researchers from Yale School of Public Health in the United States, they questioned 386 healthy young men and women, average age of 30, so in my books that's very young, on their attitude to ageing. And they did this by asking them how much they agreed or disagreed with 16 statements such as things like, as you get old, you become less useful. Old age brings increasing aches and pains. Um, as you get older, you become more helpless. Things go steadily downhill as you age. Now, there are four statements I've just made up. On a scale of one to five, one being I 100% disagree, five totally agree, what was your initial response when I when you heard those things? Things go downhill as you age. Um Old age brings increasing aches and pains. Agree, disagree, scale of one to five? Mm,
0: I would disagree with that. I think it's a problem in the mind. When we think like that, it's just enabling it to happen. Excellent. Well, let me
1: tell you what they found. They then followed these people for 38 years. Yeah. And in that time, 70% of people who strongly agreed Mm -hmm. with the negative statements about aging had suffered a heart attack a stroke or some other serious cardiovascular event mm. compared with only 15% of people who did not agree mm. think about that that is an imp- and they took into account other known risks they ruled out other known risk factors for heart disease like smoking family history type 2 diabetes that means a difference of 55% a 55% reduction in, in heart disease because they did not believe things would go downhill as they aged. We don't have a drug that's as powerful as that. Mm. It actually turns out that that letting go, overturning our negative limiting beliefs mm. and ageist stereotypes, because let's remember if we're ageist, we're discriminating against our future selves. Yeah. Letting go of that is the most powerful thing we can do to boost our
0: well-being and even our longevity. Mm-hmm. That is so true. It's such a powerful thing to yeah. talk about yeah. because a lot of people might go, really, just That's that right. one question? And then, you know, this will start a conversation with a lot of groups of people where, you know, they can start discussing such topics and see where they stand. Yes. Yeah. I think it's really important. And
1: if you find that you you do believe in a lot of negative age stereotypes, and we are actually taught how to age by our culture. Yeah. Like they've also found that if you have sprightly grandparents, you are more likely to age better, and it's not genetic. It's because you saw that your grandparents, when they retired, they were travelling the world, they were playing tennis, you know, they were out at social gatherings all the time. So you learn, ah, that's what happens when you age. Mm -hmm. You have a good life. You have more freedom. You don't care what other people think. Yeah. Whereas if you grew up visiting your Grandparents in a nursing home. You grow up learning. Oh, old age is associated with decline. So it's really important that you look for positive role models. You yes. you ac- actively seek out examples of people who have aged well. Look at Judy Dench, for mm. instance. You know she's sharp as a tack, and you know she's <laughs> in her eighties. I'm pretty sure. Have you heard? I'd love your listeners, viewers, to watch. Patty Jones, I mm. don't know if you've heard of her. She's in her mid eighties. Mm-hmm. She's still travelling the world as an acrobatic salsa dancer
2: mm. with
1: her forty-year-old partner Nico, mm-hmm. and she says she'll she'll only stop dancing when Nico gets tired of throwing her in the air. <laughs> she, they're on um, Britain's Got Talent, Spain's Got Talent, oh, those shows. Okay. Look up Patty and Nico. Okay, it is you. I just was crying, tears of joy, because that was so inspiring. This mid, yeah. you know. Mid '80s, yeah, and she's wearing her beautiful leotard and her glitter, and she's doing acrobatic salsa dancing. Mm. Unfortunately, we think of that as the exception. That is the that could be the norm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's so that's really important. Yeah. So to answer your question, what can we do to boost our brand? Number one is do an audit of your beliefs and what you believe about yourself and your capabilities. Secondly we've talked we've already talked about two really important ways to boost our brain and that is physical exercise mm-hmm. cardiovascular strength and balance
2: mm-hmm.
1: and avoiding sugar and that goes hand in hand with avoiding all processed foods mm-hmm. ultra processed foods because mm-hmm. cooking is a form of processing I'm not talking about having to eat everything raw I'm talking <laughs> about avoiding things in packages yeah you can eat anything that's from the land from the sea from the sky or from a tree not from a packet, not from a tin, if mm. it's in a box, I'd throw it in the bin. Mm. That's my dietary advice. I don't care if you're vegan, vegetarian, vegetarian, keto, mediterranean, as long as it's real whole food. Mm. That is what all successful diets have in common. Mm-hmm. They cut out the rubbish, the processed food. Yeah. The snacks. Mm-hmm. Okay? So and and it affects every part of our lives, don't you believe, you know. Yeah. When we're young, we can get away with it a little bit more. Yeah but here's the the other thing but but it catches up with us very obviously as we age we've got this mm, so many chronic diseases why because we're poisoning ourselves through what we f- eat it's not just the food okay yeah. but food plays a, a huge role mm-hmm. so that that's that's important um a lot of other things are essential for brain health number 1 good quality adequate sleep mm. People who in their midlife have less than an average of, you know, six and a half hours sleep a night, 30% higher risk of dementia as they age. But, you know, in our day-to-day lives, I'll bet everyone can attest to the fact that if you've had a poor night's sleep, if you're sleep-deprived, everything is harder the next day. Even things that are enjoyable are no longer enjoyable. Everything is a drag. Decision-making is hard. We make the worst decisions when we're tired. Have you ever looked back and thought, how, why on earth did I do that? Yeah. You're probably really tired. Yeah. There was a case in Brisbane some years ago where a pol- there was a big event and a, p- a young police officer was asked to take a bag of guns, like loaded guns, back to the police station.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when he arrived at the police station, guess what had happened? He'd forgotten the guns at the train station because he was catching a train. Oh my gosh. And there was this massive investigation. How could a police officer do something so stupid that they tested him for drugs and alcohol? Because they thought that's the only explanation is he yeah. was on drugs. How could you possibly forget a bag of guns? No, he, just he was have enough to sleep. Pl- he had he'd been on duty something like you know twelve hour shifts for ten days in a row. Mm. Sleep deprived. Mm. We do really dumb things when we're sleep deprived. So it massively erodes brain function. The other thing that happens when we sleep, it is when our brain detoxifies. You don't have to, to go on a detox diet or a big retreat to detoxify. Just get good night's sleep. Because when we sleep, the spaces between our brain cells actually expand and cerebrospinal fluid, well, Glymphatic, what we call is the glymphatic system, it's like the lymphatic system in the brain. It washes all the toxins out of our brain, into our spinal cord, into our cerebrospinal cord, into our bloodstream, Mm -hmm. and out of our body. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get that washing out of toxins every night, slowly but slowly, every night you accrue more toxins in your brain. Uh. So sleep is critical.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And We live in a culture that rewards sleep deprivation, don't we? Yeah. You know, the corporate culture is you come in and you go, I've done an all-nighter. I finished that submission or I worked on that case all night and they're rewarded. We're just hastening people's decline.
0: But I have a question. Yeah. Medical doctors. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know what's coming, but ask it anyway. Medical doctors do really long shifts. I know. As far as I know. Yes. So how does that work in practice? Because, you know, you have all the facts. Sleep deprivation is going to mean poor decisions. That's correct. And doctors need to make the best decisions. That's correct too. So how does this work? It doesn't. It's a really broken
1: system. Understaffed, underfunded. I'm I, i, I I'm sorry I don't have a good answer for you. It is not a good system. It is, it is broken. Yeah. Well, at least we know. I mean... Yeah, I I just think at least do the best you can for yourself. People say how much sleep do you need? It is it does vary. Some people are fine with seven hours. Some people need nine hours. Most of us need somewhere in between. So do what's right for you. And there'll be some smart person in who's who's listening who will say um, yes. But some people have what's known as the short sleep gene, and they can actually do with less sleep. But it usually just means six and a half hours, mm-hmm. and only. of the population have the short sleep gene,
2: Mm.
1: not the majority of the population who believe they have the short sleep gene. So I'm just warning you there. Yeah. So that's another important one. Yeah. Um, The third thing people underestimate is the, okay, this one I'll I'll sort of lead up to it so you can try and guess what it is. Okay. This was a 75-year Harvard University study led by Dr. Robert Waldinger, He has a TED talk. So, if anyone's heard the TED talk, they're going to know where I'm going with this. They wanted to answer the question. They looked at, they followed over 700 Harvard University graduates for 75 years. And they wanted to answer the question what is the greatest predictor of a long, healthy, happy life? Was it success in your career? Was it low stress? Was it lots of money? Was it diet? Was it exercise? Was it. Um, alcohol, not drinking, not smoking. Was it meditating? Was it going on yoga retreat? You know, they looked at everything. What do you think made the biggest difference to their health? Kept them healthy, made them happiest, mm. and lived the longest.
0: Social connections.
1: Yes, the quality of their relationships. Mm. So, don't sacrifice your friends. For, for your financial gain. Don't sac- don't stay in a toxic workplace. Bullying actually changes our brain, breaks down the blood-brain barrier, allows more toxins to enter our brain. Um, the stress associated with poor relationships is just, there's nothing worse. So work on those relationships. And people will say, but I have to stay in the job for the money. Open yourself up to, you know, when we make a decision that's good for us, I'm going to use metaphysical language, woo-woo language here, I'm sorry, but I've got no other word for it. The universe opens up. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to put it, but something happens in our brain that we, when we set an intention, we subconsciously tell our brain, okay, go out there and find the solution. Our brain is what's known as a teleological device. If we set a goal, and we're clear about that goal, and we visualize it clearly in our mind, our brain and body will get us there. You will, what, what happens is you create a different filter so that now, without realizing, you're on alert for solutions to the problem. And, you know, you'll have a random conversation with someone or you'll hear something on, a radio, on, the, on the radio or on a podcast and you'll go, oh, my gosh, that is exactly the answer I, I needed to hear. What a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Once you set that intention, yeah. you create that filter mm-hmm. and you'll start to notice more things that answer that question. It's a bit like once you get into the habit of practising gratitude, which is another powerful way of boosting brain function and well-being. it's fantastic. Once you start setting, you know, set start the morning by just reflecting on all the things that you're grateful for, the people in your life and as much, you know, Spend detail on I'm so grateful that my partner is so supportive and, you know, helped me incredibly when I was looking after Dad. I couldn't have done everything I I did without him. He was just extraordinary. Um, and just remembering that if you start the day with gratitude, you will notice more things throughout the day that you're grateful for because yeah. you've got that filter now. Yeah. So um, so that that was that's another really important way, just maintaining those relationships, feeling part of a community, having a supportive team. I said the two most powerful words were "me too." Mm. The four most powerful words are, "I'm here for you," knowing that there's somebody that's got your back at work, at home, in social situations, in any situation. Mm. So building those relationships is so important. And that was one of the reasons I came in. It's just so much more powerful talking to you. In life, than than through a computer screen. Now, yeah. if there's nothing better like Zoom, and and the internet saved us during COVID, especially you in Melbourne, the most lockdown city in the world. <laughs> I Don't just tell think, me about it. Uh, I just so felt for you. Yeah. But at least
0: you know you had you know you were able to connect with people hey, on the internet. On the bright side, right? So learned a lot from that period. Yes, exactly. Yeah, nurture relationships still in you Absolutely. know the virtual environment. Grateful for it. I do not hate it. You know, it was obviously horrible, but you know, I, I truly, uh, to a lot of people, I said those were the two best years of my life. Wow. To the, yeah, to a lot of people, I, for learning and I, yeah, I, I and said it's, it's different from me personally, but I think that's that's why maybe that's how I was, you know, boosting my brain without knowing, yeah, you know, looking at you know the gratitude that I had in that period because for me it was really different. I'm not discounting the lives that were lost, the challenges that the world had to go through. To me personally, it was the yes. best two years of my life because I started working full time. Yep. At the very beginning of the pandemic, I started living by myself for the first time in my mm. life. I started having cats for the first time in my life. Wow! I still stayed in touch with friends. I had great connections with my friends. We did activities together, and we spend more time together compared to pre pre pandemic time. And that's m- extraordinary. I talked to my mom more. Yeah, and y- you know what? Yeah, it it did suck for a little while, but it got better. Crisis can connect us and deepens
1: our experience of life. Yeah. Marvelous. Okay. Uh, just a couple more things to boost the brain. Yeah. Because uh, I think it's really important. I said soft drinks were the new cigarettes. Sitting is the new smoking. Hmm. You've probably heard that. Yes. But I think people still forget. Yeah. People who sit for more than 11 hours a day. Mm. Now that sounds ridiculous, but I'm ashamed to say I know a lot of friends, doctors, who sit for 11 hours a day. They drive an hour to work, especially if they live in Sydney or pro- probably Melbourne too, but um, they drive an hour to work. They sit at their desk for eight or nine hours. They drive another hour home. Bang, that's 11 hours. That person is at 40% increased risk of early death from heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, um, neurodegenerative disease and cancer compared to someone who sits less than four hours a day. And there's a dose-dependent effect. So if you sit eight hours a day, the increased risk is 15%. So the bad news is even if you flog yourself at the gym for an hour a day, it doesn't counteract. Well, only marginally counteract, offsets the 11 hours you've been sitting. But what does offset the prolonged sitting is simply standing up for two minutes every 20 to 30 minutes. Mm. So at home, because, you know, I've written three books, so that requires a lot of sitting. Yeah. I've I've got a cheap little stand-up desk. Yes. It's a fold-up thing, so I can just still type or read for those two minutes, and I have a timer. it just it's just easy, it's just on the every half hour. Hmm. And I will stand up, yeah, and I'll and I'll keep typing. I, I won't sort of interrupt what I'm doing. You can make a phone call, you can have a cup of coffee or or drink of water or whatever, but just break up that sitting time. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be dead time because i I speak to a lot of corporations, and the lawyers and the accountants go, oh, but every six minutes is a billable unit. So that means, you know, I'm losing a billable unit, you know, every hour if I stand up every 20 minutes. And I'm going, it doesn't have to be dead time. Mm. You can stand up and still be working, especially if it's a desk job. Mm -hmm. So so that's really important. Uh, And the reason being, people go, why? Why is sitting so hazardous? Whenever we sit, we get no stimulation,
2: Mm.
1: no electrical activity in our biggest muscles, which are our quadriceps and our glutes. Mm. And no stimulation there means increased inflammation. We release what are called inflammatory cytokines, which travel through our body and start to do havoc. I mean, inflammation in the short term is life-saving. You know, when you get a cut or or, or something, inflammation is what allows that to heal or an infection, but it's the prolonged, the chronic, the low-grade inflammation that is triggered by things like prolonged sitting that is the problem. Um and it, and it also, it's just blood flow stagnates. We just don't feel as refreshed. And, and when people start standing, they say, I feel less tired. I, f- I don't get sluggish in the afternoons. And they just have more energy. It's like people go, but exercise takes up so much energy. You said at the start of our conversation, exercise gives you energy. Yeah. So, so yeah, that is really important. Um, and another really important thing that people might forget is spending time in nature. Yes nature is another thing that that heals us. Um, When we're going out, especially in the forest, we inhale what are known as phytoncides, which actually strengthen our immune system. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of the Japanese um, concept of forest bathing. No, no, I haven't. Oh, look it up, forest bathing. Okay. It started as a campaign by the Japanese forestry industry. They just wanted to get more people out into the forest. It was a marketing touristy thing. And people started to report, oh, after I spent time in a forest, I felt so much calmer, I felt less stressed, I slept better. And then when they started doing measurements, they actually found it drops people's blood pressure um, and it reduces inflammatory chemicals in your brain and it, inf- it reduces the stress hormone cortisol. So spending time in nature is essential to our well-being. It reduces ADHD in, in children and adults it reduces autoimmune disease. It is just so
0: powerful. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've heard th- that a few times on this show, yeah. but still powerful every time I got reminded. Yeah. I'm going camping this weekend. So oh, I'm fantastic. Excited. Yeah. And
1: I think the the magic number they did um, a study in the UK, I think it was 17 minutes a day, sort mm-hmm. of on average. Um, that's not very much. Just, yeah. Walking to the manageable. gym. Yeah. yeah. Very manageable. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, while you're out there, well, it's a bit hard at, in winter, but it's also really important to get adequate levels of vitamin D. Low vitamin D levels are associated with poorer cognition, mm-hmm. poorer brain health. So sp- 10 minutes a day in sunshine if you can. Yeah. Especially getting that morning. It's two different. Sunshine is for your vitamin D. hmm I, I there's no harm in taking a vitamin D supplement every day Yeah, because most people spend too much time indoors and mm. we're just not getting enough vitamin D and you don't get enough from your diet. Oily fish, mushrooms, mm, you're just not going to get enough. Mm. Um, the other important thing, so apart from sunshine, oh, and, and also you need to spend that 10 minutes without sunscreen mm-hmm. so it doesn't lock out. The vitamin D, yeah, um, but it doesn't mean avoid. It doesn't mean going over the top and giving yourself skin cancer. Okay, we just need ten to fifteen minutes without sunscreen. If you apply sunscreen just before you leave the house, it takes sunscreen ten to fifteen minutes to become yeah. activated. So that's perfect, yeah, perfect solution. Yeah, and another really powerful thing to, that people find is such a small thing that makes a big difference to their cognition, their thinking, their sharpness, their creativity. Even is to get morning light. Mm. So, as soon as you wake up, open the blinds, go outside, get some real light, not artificial light. Mm-hmm. And that's part of regulating our circadian rhythm. And we'll yeah. sleep also, people will sleep better. And dad, far less agitated if I got him out in the mornings. Mm. So, it was a combination of light and nature.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I was just laughing in the middle because I'm thinking about Melbourne winter. Yes. A lot of the things that you mentioned, yes, they sound great, but in practice from Melbourne people, I know people would laugh along with me because it's kind of hard. It's difficult. I know. It's hard to get uh, sunlight every day. Um, Yes. So, you know, supplement, definitely something we can. It's just awareness that this is important. Yeah.
1: Even if you can't always do all the things, Mm -hmm. it provides an explanation of oh, that's why I'm feeling a bit flat. Yeah. That's why people feel flat. You know, um, seasonal depression is a thing. Seasonal affective disorder. It is a thing. Yeah. So it's about having an explanation, not blaming yourself. I'm not being positive enough, I'm not working hard enough <laughs> on my well-being. No. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it is the environment.
0: Liz, we know. pollution,
1: air pollution, mm. I think I, I mentioned was a significant factor in terms of eroding brain function. Yeah. It doesn't just cause respiratory diseases, it, it increases the risk of you know cardiovascular disease as well. Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease. Mm. So being aware of these factors means you don't beat up on yourself. You just realise Right now I'm in a difficult environment. Yeah. And this is contributing.
0: Yeah. 100%. So being being
1: compassionate to yourself. Um and on that on that topic because I'm seeing it increasingly please 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 don't vape. It is not better than smoking. Mm. It doesn't cause the we don't have the evidence yet mm. as to the long-term effects. Yeah. But we have enough evidence to already know that kids who vape young people who vape don't perform well as well at school they're not as good at their concentration isn't as good their memory isn't as good and it is because there are all these chemicals in vapes mm. that we'd have no idea
2: mm.
1: what effect they have
2: mm.
1: and the flavors are actually toxic things that sound harmless and healthy mm. cinnamon for instance mm. is healthy yeah when you eat it not when you breathe it in mm. It causes a whole heap of not just respiratory problems, mm-hmm. but it is absorbed and affects our brain. Yeah. I think we're going to have an avalanche of unexpected illnesses in young people who vape for a long time. Now, it was originally thought that it would help people quit smoking. If you're using it for that reason and you're finding it helpful, fine. But a lot of people, they still don't end up giving, giving up smoking and they end up doing both which is uh, what could be worse than that? Not much.
0: Mm. You know, I actually heard, um, I mean, agree with, with you completely, but when you said uh, sitting is a new smoking, I thought of something I heard recently, loneliness is worse than smoking.
1: It is. Loneliness, they, I don't know how the the statisticians come up with these numbers, mm-hmm. but reports that loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. There you go. That's yeah. the number. Yeah. yeah, I saw that somewhere Correct. and
0: that was pretty uh that's horrible yeah. to think about because you know we're talking about our well-being, our brain health, our mental health and emotional health and you know that is such a big factor as Huge. well. Huge. So, yeah, like I think it's just a, an emphasis on building strong social connections just like what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And on that, let me tell you this fascinating I found this study absolutely
1: fascinating. Um it was a review of wound healing. They got it was forty two married couples. they invited them into the lab. They were aged between twenty two and seventy seven so right across the, the life spectrum. yeah and they were measuring the speed of wound healing, and each couple agreed to have a blister induced on their forearm on two occasions. And on one occasion, after they had the the blister induced, They were were there with a facilitator. They were asked to talk about happy memories and all the good times in their relationship. And then on another occasion, and they did them in both orders, some people had the happy experience first, some people had the negative experience first. So on on the other time when they induced the blister, they asked the couples to talk about an argument or a disagreement or a bad time.
2: Mm.
1: And the researchers then measured how long it took the wound to heal. They could not believe that after the disagreement, the wound healed, nearly took twice as long to heal as after the positive interaction. And they found generally the couples who you could tell the couples who were closer and related better in the first place, Mm. they healed um, almost twice as fast in just generally to the couples that had not a good relationship, yeah. So don't stay in a bad relationship. It's not like any relationship is better than no relationship. No, yeah. bad relationships are not
0: good ones. Hundred percent.
1: So and 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 um, another real. I think these are really important studies to mention so that people get that there's really tangible effects of relationships. Another study, they took people out and they asked them to estimate how steep is that hill. So they showed them a hill. how steep do you think it is? On two occasions. On one occasion they were taken out by themselves and on another occasion they were allowed to bring a friend. The friend wasn't allowed to say anything. The friend actually had to stay socially distanced, 1.5 metres away, looking in the other direction. Mm. But just having that person there, they always judged that hill as being about 15% less steep when they had social support, mm. even though that that support person did nothing. Yeah. Just knowing that somebody is there... That's extraordinary that feeling supported, it actually changes our perception of our physical world, that mountains seem more climbable, that, that success seems more attainable. Obstacles, you know, are less threatening when we've got social support. Mm. Now, this is an aside, but I, it was a recent study I read that I think is really important because a lot of young people are having this done. Botox actually blunts our capacity for empathy. Oh, Because it paralyzes the muscles we use to unconsciously mirror the facial expressions of others. Wow. And that's how we get a sense of what they're feeling. See, our facial muscles, they convey messages to our brain that that then interprets those facial muscle movements as emotional signals. So, So we actually feel what the other person is feeling. But if we've paralyzed those facial muscles we can't feel how the other person's feeling. So we have to read them only by the words and the tone of voice, which is not the same as actually feeling what they're feeling.
2: Mm.
1: So maybe not mm. that Botox. Yeah.
0: Wow. Some interesting insights yeah, there. Yeah, that, that, I found that yeah. really fascinating. Well, thank you so much. I mean, we are almost out of time, but before we move on to the practice and debrief, is there anything else you would like to mention in this part, especially when it comes to boosting our brain?
1: Just be aware that everything we do, everything we think, everything we experience, everything we believe affects our brain health, our body health, and our overall well-being. You know, there's another quote I'm paraphrasing, you know, act as if every decision matters because it does. Act as if everything you choose to do in your everything you choose to put in your mouth. Every way you choose to relate to a person, all of that matters. Now, it's it's also not about going to the extreme mm. and then getting stressed because oh no, I, I, I you know I ate a piece of you know some junk food today. It's not about panic. It's not about perfection. It's about direction.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, but I
1: think yeah, I think that's that's really important. And just recognizing how much our self talk matters. Mm. I'll leave you with a final little tip. Get into the habit of giving yourself a clap,
2: Mm. not a slap. Mm.
1: What do I mean by that? Throughout the day, give yourself a mental pat on the back every time you do something right, every time you tick something off your to-do list, every time you do something well, because we are really good at beating ourselves up for our sins and really bad at acknowledging our wins. Mm. It's a real habit. Like, I'll bet driving home, you're much from work, say, you're much more likely to be telling yourself, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. That was such a stupid mistake I made at work. (laughs) I really bummed out on this. I was too sorry. I didn't get all this done. Mm. Instead of saying, running through all the things you did well, because I'm sure you did just as much good stuff at work and you did made tick just as many things off your to-do list as what you didn't tick off your list. But we tend to focus on what we did poorly rather than on what we did well. Mm. And um it's called cognitive bias modification. <clears throat> if we start to acknowledge, and you don't have to shout out to everyone, just, you know, if you've cooked a really beautiful piece of fish for dinner, tell yourself, I did a great job there with dinner. Mm. If you've made a really healthy choice at lunch, I'm really proud of myself. I could have been tempted, you know, and had something that was, that you know, just indulged my taste buds. Mm. But no, I really looked after myself. Good on me. I handle that difficult situation really well. Just take a moment to acknowledge yourself. Mm. It makes a tremendous positive difference because then you start to notice more of what you're doing well, yeah, rather than what you're not doing well.
0: Yeah. I love that, especially coming from a medical doctor, you know, because a lot of people are like, "Oh, you know, like you're just just all about that uh what is it? Like self-help, um, you know, be positive and things." And I, That's I've, not being positive. That's being honest with yourself yeah. and just acknowledging that yeah, yeah. it's not
1: I'm not telling you to kid yourself and say you did a great job when you didn't.
0: Yeah. Learn I know.
1: from the the mistakes. Yeah. It's not our mistakes that define mm-hmm. us, it's how we deal with them. Yeah. Learn from the acknowledge when you ha- apologize when you've done something wrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Acknowledge when you haven't done something as well as you could have, and learn from it, but equally so. Do mm-hmm. praise yourself just quietly. Or, you know, celebrate your wins. Which we don't tend to do. Yeah. Oh, quick, just move on to the next thing.
0: I love it. Okay, so should we consider that the practice that you would like to recommend to our audience? Yes. 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 Let's and and it's take hard. Take that as a practice. You'll notice yeah. when you start.
1: You're going Oh my gosh! So much of my self talk is critical.
0: Yeah. Hundred percent. Would there be any other practice that you would like us to come combine this with so we can, you know, strengthen the practice of boosting our brain every day? I know you give us a bunch of things already and we can do all of these things on the daily, but if there's anything that you haven't mentioned, now's the chance. Also acknowledge others.
1: So when someone else has done something that you're really grateful for, don't let it go unnoticed. Or when somebody's done a really good job at work, mm. acknowledge them. Genuine. Yeah. This this is so not about faking faking it mm-hmm. it's about genuine compliments yeah. people know when you're not telling them the truth yeah you know so genuinely acknowledging people when they've done something well or even just just saying you know you know what? You're a bright spark in the workplace. Ah, you know, I love coming to work to see you. Yeah. I mean, I love your smile, and I'm not just saying this. The first thing I noticed when I walked in here was that beautiful smile of yours, and I thought, Ah, thank you. Yeah, that's what I mean. Acknowledging those genuine things yeah. that you appreciate about other people, yeah,
0: and I acknowledge your smile as well. It means a lot when you <laughs> walked in here, made me feel really positive and excited. So, yeah, I'm glad. Um, So, yeah, I think we can wrap this part up. Yeah,
1: one more thing. Don't lose that sense of awe and wonder. Take a moment every day to find something that is Mm awe-inspiring, whether it's looking at the moon, Mm. looking at the stars in the night sky, even just looking at the bright city lights, Mm. looking up at tall trees, Mm -hmm. looking at a sunset or a sunrise, just Mm -hmm. pausing momentarily and just letting something take your breath away. Yeah. That changes our brain and body chemistry too.
0: 100%. I really love that. It's part of my burnout recovery project. I talk Mm. about that a lot. You know, just enjoying the, you know, the mundane, normal moments that you can turn into wonder. You know, it's so easy to forget about these things. Yeah. So let's move on to your open mic. Before we wrap up, this is your chance to talk about anything you're passionate about. I know you're so passionate about your work. I wouldn't be surprised if you mentioned anything that's related to the work that you've been doing. So here's your floor. Look, my passion,
1: my life goal is to make the world a better place, you know, is just to make a positive difference to others in any way that I can. Mm. Um, That's what I'm really passionate about. I've spent, you know, decades studying the brain because I really think that is, you know, knowing about our brain is the greatest investment we can make to our well-being and to that end, I have written three books, which I encourage people to look at because there, I, you know, I put my heart and soul into my books. And as you said, the first one was In Search of My Father. That is really for somebody who is looking after somebody that has dementia. That is a sort of a, a carer's book. Mm. The second book I wrote was Neuroslimming, Let Your Brain Change Your Body. Mm. Now, it is for people who are struggling with, largely struggling with emotional eating, so it's about shedding excess body fat without dieting or deprivation.
2: Mm.
1: But it's about feeding your spirit, not starving your body. Mm.
2: So
1: Beautiful. that's what Neurosimbing is about. And it's just about healthy living in general, but, but it is specifically targeted to the stress eater, emotional eater, the person yeah. who has a bad relationship with food or their body and just can't get on top of it. Mm. And my last book, which was only just released a couple of weeks ago, Is called Can Adventure Prevent Dementia? And that's why I was in Melbourne. I was speaking at the National Dementia Conference the last two days. Um, Well, I only spoke on one day. (laughs) Um, And that was I was speaking about answering the question, can adventure prevent dementia? Spoiler alert, it can. (laughs) In a lot of cases. Obviously, there's going to be some some genetic cases, but the vast minority are genetic and inevitable. Yeah. Um, But you can still make a positive difference. So Can Adventure Prevent Dementia is not just about preventing dementia. It's about how we can all build a better brain at every age and stage of life because the changes in our brain that lead to dementia actually start 20 to 30 years before we get any symptoms. So we don't need to – thinking about brain health in our 50s and 60s and 70s, it's never too late to make a positive difference, but it's a lot harder so let's start when we're young because that's when the changes really begin. So that book is, as I said, it's about building a better brain and realising that that's also going to build a better life in every way. Wonderful. Oh, and if you want the books, just go to my, you can get them at any good bookshop, um, but also my website's drhelena.popovic.com, adventurepreventsdementia.com mm-hmm. and winningatslimming.com.
0: Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I think our audience would have a great time exploring t- topics that are close to their heart, resonate with them. I think the, the second book that you wrote, everyone can relate to uh, yeah. in some shape or form. The other two would probably be a bit more niche, but still definitely very helpful. Oh n- no, not can
1: adventure prevent dementia? Sounds niche. Mm. I targeted that market because they're the ones most eager and aware of the fact that they've got to do something about their brain. Yeah, but. It's for people from their 30s onwards, really, mm. because it's about how to keep your brain healthy mm. and because everything you do to avoid dementia later in life will make yeah. you more effective, more productive, more sharp, more creative That's good in, to your, know. in your day-to-day life.
0: Yeah. Quite a great yeah. And topic. you can go to my
1: web, any of my websites have a lot of free information as well. Yeah. I, I write um, a weekly blog called mm. Healthy Bites mm-hmm. um, and... Yeah, I do workshops, retreats as well.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. It's been it's a been joy been talking to you. Really lovely speaking with you. Yeah, I, I think we could go on all day, but yes. you know, I think it's good to wrap this up so our audience can actually reflect on the conversation. And we'd love to have you back some other time. Thank you. It would be an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoy this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at we.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Lu Ngô, thanks for tuning in.